faithful even when I'm faithless my God ever faithful you are working even in my failures my God you are lifting me you're still To trade the death we 
word from Philippians. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, 
who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. And so this next song is one we'd like to introduce to you. It speaks to the worthiness of Jesus Christ, the one who died for us, who took our place as that last song talked about. And so I would encourage you to join in. I'm gonna begin with the chorus. And then as you learn the song, please join us. You are worthy. You are
You're my author, my maker, my ransom, my savior, my refuge, my hiding place. You're my helper, my healer, my blessed redeemer, my answer, my saving grace. You're my hope in the shadows, my strength in the songs, we realize that you are worthy of all of our praise. And at the same time, we are dependent on you. When we see the holiness of God, we are reminded of our position as desperately needing a Savior. We need a rescuer. Lord, thank you for sending your Son as we were separated in our sin, born enemies of God, that you would come out of love and rescue us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for that reminder that you pursue us relentlessly with love and that grace and mercy is extended to those who would rebel against you every day. And for some reason, you choose to love me and love everyone in this room and everyone in this world. Thank you for the gift of grace, undeserved, unearned. You are our only hope. Let us worship you now. The Holy Spirit speaking to hearts. Have your way with us. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom. My steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing all this mighty and not I, but through Christ. 
forsaken for by my side the savior he will stay i labor on in weakness and rejoicing for in my need his power is displayed to this i Good morning. 
My name is Becky Conover. I'm the minister to children here at the chapel, and we'd like to welcome you. If it's your first time this morning, we'd ask that you take a few minutes to fill out the Connect card that's re, um, on the, the back of the seat in front of you. If you could fill that out and drop it in the baskets on your way out, that would be great. And we also want to invite you to a guest reception at the table. Um, you'll receive a gift and a free drink. Um, I'm going to share a few service opportunities we have in children's ministry right now. Um, first, we need some substitutes um, on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. You can either put your name on a list and we'll contact you when we have a need or um, schedule a particular Sunday that you would like to work. Um, we also would love to have some greeters greeting families as they come on campus and then help Shar and Russ get all the visitors to the right classrooms and stuff. We could really use some help. And if you speak another language, that would even be awesome, more better. Like, that's awful. That would be better <laughs> because we have a lot of different languages that come on campus that need help. Um, and probably our most important need that I literally just experienced right now in the gym is we need some sound booth volunteers. Um, and that is basically you come in and you punch a button. It's really not that hard. We can train you. If I can do it, anyone can do it. Um, but we could really use some help over there. Um, and that would help ease our Sunday morning um, time and as well as Wednesday nights. So if you're interested in any of these service opportunities, um, just uh, email me at beckyc at cfcjax and I'll get back to you, but we could really use your help. Um, so right now, if you guys could stand and greet one another, turn around and greet each other and um, enjoy a little bit of fellowship. Thank you. Well, good morning. Well, I hope you met somebody new. I did, so I drug him over here, and he was like, seriously, really? No, what he said was, I like this church, because we're... So this is Luke. I just met Luke, and he was in here leading... Was that a bass guitar? Electric guitar in North. I was like, I've never seen him before. Luke Marsden? Yes, sir. All right, and I said, how long have you been here? And he said, a year come Easter. So, are you married? Yes, sir. Yeah? Children? I have a three-and-a-half-year-old son. Three-and-a-half. says I don't need to say half, but when they're only three, I think an extra half a year means a lot. So. <laughs> All right. I'm realizing South is not hearing you right now, and I don't want you this close to speak into this mic. So, anyway, I should welcome Luke. That, that's it. There you go. There we go. Hi. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> We, when we do a greeting here, some people are, that's uncomfortable, but we do a greeting because it's an opportunity for you to actually meet the folks that uh, are part of the body here. And oftentimes you don't know them. And here's part of the message this morning is this. This is not a movie theater. Uh, the way you come in and seat yourself sometimes, it looks like it's a movie theater, like the front rows of the worst rows. I haven't been to a movie in a long time, but yesterday, because we were hosting the Alpha Retreat at our place, uh, we went and watched a movie, and because we were late, we ended up in those front two rows where it's like this, and it was terrible. That's not church. But some of you think that this is movie theater. And when you go to movie theater, I realize if I walk in and, and it's not packed, uh, and I sit right beside a person, what's that person think? Really? Like right beside me? That, that's a little weird. It's kind of how you sit sometimes in here. It's not weird to sit beside people at church. Okay? You just need, this is not a movie theater. 
Let's remember that. I'm serious. When you walk through the doors in North, you walk through the doors in South, I want you to remember, this is not a movie theater. This is the body of Christ gathered, whether this is your first time or your 100th time. I want you to not separate yourself from one another, but to engage with one another. That actually is godly. This is just not a preference. This is a godly thing that I'll show you in a moment. So, all right, you have a, so I had ne- literally never met Luke before, and so I thought, oh, I'm going to meet a guy, and I hope you met somebody new as well this morning. If you're always meeting the same people, sit somewhere else, you'll meet somebody new, all right? Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, a letter that Paul wrote to them after being an instrument of God in planting that church, and we looked last week. At verse 3, specifically, constantly, he, Paul says to them, as he was thinking about them and how he prays for them, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. And we observed that when it came to Paul thinking about the Thessalonians, it was pretty strong that he thought about their faith their love, and their hope, which the New Testament says these three remain, faith, hope, and love. They're the greatest, with love being the greatest. What I was really struck by this week as I was reviewing was the fact that when Paul wrote this letter, how much time had elapsed between when he had met them and they had turned to believe in Jesus and their faith, and now he wrote the letter. How much time has elapsed? Anybody remember? A year to a year and a half. So not, lot, not long. How many of you have been in relationship with God through faith in Jesus for a year, year and a half, or longer? All right. Now, just hold your hand up. Hold your hand up. And now I ask yourself, When people think of me, do they think about my work of faith, labor of love, and the steadfastness of my hope? Or would you go, oh, no, I'm not that mature. They were a year and a half in their faith, and that's what they remembered. That's what Paul thought about them. That's pretty strong. It's one of the reasons I think as we go through this letter of Paul to the Thessalonians, we're going to find real challenge to grow into maturity in Christ. Because though they were young, they were mature. I think of your, lab- your work of faith. That, that's what we looked at last week. And, and that work of faith was so important to us because it reflected the, the core essentials of saving faith. Quick review from last week. When he says, I remember your work of faith, he was saying, first, I remember that you turned to God from idols, that they did not take the Jesus that Paul proclaimed and added Jesus to their life, which is what we're so prone to do in our day and time, to take Jesus and add him to everything else in our life. It's possible that you're here on Sunday morning regularly, but all you've really done is add Jesus to your life. You have not turned from, there there were two turnings that happened in Thessalonica. Religious Jews who had trusted in their obedience to God's law, turned from trusting in their obedience and believed in Jesus. 
And there were Gentiles who were trusting in their worship of idols who changed their mind. They repentance, they stopped believing in that and they believed in Jesus. So, is there been a repentance, a changing of your mind, a turning from what you want what you once lived for, trusted in, and counted on, and turned from it, and turned to believing in Jesus. Not believing something about him. See, Paul proclaimed that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus died to pay the penalty for their sin. Jesus rose on the third day, and Jesus was going to return. You can believe all those things and not believe in Jesus. You can believe those facts, but not believe in it. If you were here last week, you, you, all you have to think is slimy sausage, slimy Italian sausage. There's a difference between believing about something and believing in something. Because you can believe that your boss is your leader, but not believe in your boss. Right? You can believe there's a team in town, but not believe in the team. That's, that's not a shot. There's a difference between believing about something and believing in. You, you tracking with me? Because I'm, I'm, I'm giving you those examples so that you would ask yourself, do I believe about Jesus or do I believe in Jesus? I believe he is the son of God and I believe that he took the penalty for my sin. That there's nothing I can do except trust in him to be my forgiver, my savior, my leader. That's believing in Jesus. And that believing in, what was true of the Thessalonians, must be true today, that believing in results in a new life lived for a new Lord. Believing in has a visible result. You want to see it in Thessalonians? How you turned, how you turned to God. From idols, this is the Gentiles, from what they were trusting in, to do what? They turned from to to serve a living and true God. This is the evidence of genuine saving faith. So if you were going to go back, you would see essentials of faith, turn, repent, change your mind, believe in. Resulting in a new life lived for a new Lord. They turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. That's last week. Now what I want to see is this. Back to verse 3. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love. Here's what I hope you'll capture. That every genuine Work of faith, turning to, not adding to, turning to every genuine act of faith will result in labors of love. Constantly bearing in mind. See, he's just replaying. I came, you heard, you turned. And after you turned, you what? You loved. Every genuine act of saving faith will be exhibited by labors of love. That's not unique to the Thessalonians. That's the gospel. Many of us know this. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So it's not by works that we're saved, we'll never be good enough, we could never be good enough. It's only by trusting in Jesus. You know that, do you know this? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, for what? Good works. See, the the gospel is every single one of us once believed in, trusted in something. And then if we are genuinely saved, we changed our mind. And we turned from that to believe in Jesus. Demonstrated by serving the true and living God, doing labors of love. It's a genuine reality that apart from labors of love, apart from love, that you would go, has there been a work of faith? Did you hear me? Apart from labors of love, you should genuinely ask, has there been a work of faith? Because he that knoweth God loves. And if you don't know God, you're not going to love. If you don't love, you don't know God. 1 John 4 makes it incredibly clear that God and love go hand in hand. And therefore, those who are in Christ, love goes hand in hand. So I'm going to say it again. Every genuine work of faith results in labors of love. Those who turn to Jesus for salvation become instruments of God. Those who turn to Jesus for salvation become instruments of God for unforgettable expressions of his love. That's the reality. They become instruments of God for unforgettable expressions of his love. So here's what we're going to do this morning. He said, I remember your work of faith. That's what we looked at last week. And your labors of love. Now we're going to go back and look at what was he specifically remembering about how they loved him when he was in Thessalonica. So turn from 1 Thess to Acts chapter 17. Again, the historical account of the church being born there in Thessalonica. Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 3 summarized there this. Paul goes to town and For three weeks in a row, he goes to where the Jews gather for worship and he reasons with them on the Sabbath that Jesus is God, that he died for their sins, that he was risen on the third day and that he would return. Having declared that, what's verse four tell us? That some of them were persuaded. Some of them being some of the religious Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks. So Jewish and Gentile were persuaded and a number of the leading women. So that's their work of faith. Here's what happened, verse 5 through 10. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they didn't find them, in other words, when they didn't find Paul and Silas, 
They began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also, and Jason has welcomed them. And they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews to start preaching again. So how, when he said, I remember your labors of love, what was in his head? Well, quite a few things. First, he was remembering their hospitality. That we love, genuine expressions of love are hospitality. The love of strangers. Now, play it out. See, sometimes we we don't play scripture out in our minds in the way things would go down. Paul and Silas show up in Thessalonica. Who do they know? They don't know anybody. Who knows them? Nobody. Complete strangers. They go to the synagogue of the Jews, and after week one, he's talked to some people, and some people know them. After week two, more people know them. After week three, more people know them. But at some point, when they went to grab Paul and Silas, the authorities, dude, they went to someone's house. Whose house? Jason's house. And they went to Jason's house because the text says, Jason, what was the word? Welcomed them. That's hospitality. Hospitality, biblical hospitality, is not cookies with friends. Biblical hospitality is the welcome of strangers. So, Jason, at some point, it doesn't tell us when. Here's what happened. Uh, I don't know when in the period of time it happened, but here's what happened. At some point, Jason went up to Paul and said what? Would you like to come to my house? Whether it happened the first night or the first week or the third week, who knows. But at some point, Paul went from Hotel Thessalonica to Jason's house. Yes? Yes? Yes. Because of an invitation. Hospitality. Don't miss this. Hospitality is simply offering a gracious invitation. Now, let me be very direct, Christian Family Chapel. We could get better at this. We could get better at inviting graciously. Just ask yourself again. When's the last time I graciously invited somebody on a Sunday lunch to come to a Thursday night service? When's the last time at work I said, hey, I'd love for you if you'd ever want to. If not, no problem, but... Attend church with me. Or, hey, we're kicking off March Madness with wings at the table, a coffee shop at our church, 10 bucks, and all you can eat wings. Found out a, a guy that I've been sharing Christ with found out about it, and he said, hey, wings. And I said, yeah, I'll meet you there. Loser pays. <laughs> now, I, I, I'm sure I'll lose, but I'm sure he'll come. 
Will you invi- have you invited anything, anyone to anything? Gracious invitation. Have you invited somebody into your family group? Or do you have to vote people in yours? If you have to vote people in yours, you should talk about that as a group and ask, what are we doing here? Just, that's, that's not, that's another sermon, but you ought to talk about that one. Ever invite somebody to a Bible study you're in? Or into your home? A neighbor, into your home. Gracious invitation. Gracious invitation is not, uh, is not the guy on Thursday at before service, I play tennis. And so I'm over here at Burnett Park, and we're finishing up. I'm about to come back and get a shower for the Thursday service. And this guy who's on the tennis court runs up to me, older gentleman, runs up to me and goes, hey, I want to give you a Bible track. And as soon as it was in my hand, he was like running full speed away. And I looked at him and I said, oh, hey, what church do you go to? And as he's like walking away, he yells over the shoulder to me where he goes to church. And I think, why'd you give me an invitation? Why are you running away now? So I said, thinking maybe it's up. I go to Christian Family Chapel. I'm, he was already on the forecourt. And he kind of waved me. Yeah. I was like, I, dude, you're the one who interrupted me. Why are you giving me this and running? So if that's the type of invitation you give, tell him you go to somewhere else. Don't tell him you go to Christian Family Chapel. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I'm not against tracks. I'm against invitations that are like bombs that you drop and run. <laughs> so we could, we could do better. Don't, don't misunderstand. Very simple from the text. Jason said, you want to come to my house? And where there is a genuine work of faith, there are labors of love. We become instruments of God for unforgettable expressions of his love see when people love you you don't you don't forget it you know what else hospitality is warm welcome warm welcome this is this is why one of the reasons i want us to get past this whole movie theater mentality because that doesn't say warm welcome that says i like my space stay out of it and cfc we need to change that we need, to stop. we need to stop sitting like we're in a movie theater. It is ungodly when there is a lack of hospitality among the people of God. Because nothing screams hospitality, the love of strangers, like the gospel. Did you hear me? Nothing screams the love of strangers like the gospel. And therefore, it is ungodly when the body of Christ doesn't extend gracious invitation and warm welcome. And sometimes churches are the least hospitable places. And we, we struggle with this. In the last month, I've had a stranger sing the praises of their welcome, and I've had somebody tearfully tell me their isolation. So it varies. I know my experience. In 1987, when all we had was the South Auditorium, and we had a worship service, and then a coffee donut break, 
and then a talk with the pastor afterwards conversation of anybody who wanted to stay after. We, Jackie and I, no kids, new to town, visiting, and there's nothing worse than a welcome visiting time as a stranger and no one welcomes you. And that was our experience at first. I'm not sure at what point, week two, week three, but we were about to leave. And thankfully, I'll never forget, because when people love you, you don't forget a guy named Bert. Right up front, came up and introduced himself. And he talked to me during the coffee donut break before we all sat down. And that made a difference so that I'll never forget him. Bert was... Paul's Jason. My guy's name was Bert. He simply welcomed me. Now, watch this. I was crystal clear. Bert was not looking that we were going to be best friends. See, to welcome somebody doesn't mean you have to be best friends with them. What did I know he was doing? He was looking up and he went, there's a young couple that Obviously, don't have anybody to talk to, don't know anyone, and I'm going to go give them warm welcome. But too often, this becomes our usual place, and so we come in, we talk to the people we usually talk to, we sit places we usually sit, we go through the routine we usually go through, and we don't have eyes up to see who would we love by simple, warm welcome. Christian Family Chapel, we can do better. And by better, I mean we can be more God-like in this one. Okay? We can be more God-like in this. We're thoughtless in the people that we walk by. Years ago, as part of a message series, I had two of our staff members dress in disguise and stand in our foyer to see what it was like to be a stranger at Christian Family Chapel. And then as part of the message, I had them come up and share with the congregation what it was like to be a stranger here. And the one gal who had been on staff here for over 20 years literally cried in front of the congregation and said, I want to apologize to all of you who I've ignored in our courtyard portico because I was that person and it's a terrible place. We can do better. Love is hospitality. It's just gracious invitation. Join us. It's we're not a closed group. Join us. It's often in a conversation, it's the change of the angle of the shoulder that doesn't say you're out, it says, come on in. And if someone has the guts to come on in, maybe someone who wasn't invited is here this morning. They are going to walk to their cars and drive away here and answer a very simple question. Did anybody welcome me? What type of church is that? Did anybody talk to me? Did anybody invite me in? Did anybody say, I'm glad you're here? Did everybody avoid me like I'm the plague? And they're going to make a decision about the church, the body of Christ based on something like hospitality. Have I been pushing buttons and I didn't know it? You guys are cracking me up. 
Why don't you be my friends and say, Doug, you're pushing buttons. I have no idea. Why, where in the world am I? How far back? Oh, my word. I almost started a video. Y'all didn't know it. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> we can do better. We love by hospitality. We love by providing. Did Jason provide? Yeah. What did he provide? Home. Maybe, we don't know if he was married and kids, maybe he crammed kids in a room, who knows? Probably provided some food. We know he provided when he paid his bail or his fine, as opposed to exposing Paul and Silas when the city authorities came, he provided. We love by providing. Sometimes that's financially. Sometimes that's physically, like Becky stood up here and said, hey, could we get some folks who can help us sound text? Can we get some folks who will help us greeters? That's providing. Love provides. And when they received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. See, they actually paid a bill. That They weren't looking for Jason. They were looking for Paul and Silas, but Jason paid the bill and others. Now, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. See, give preference. You can be thoughtless or you can come in and say, by the way I welcome, by the way I receive, by the way I help, I am giving preference. I recognize hospitality is work. That's why it's called a labor of love. I recognize that staying here for a second hour to greet or to push a button for a sound booth or to help in children's ministry or to help in some way on campus, I realize that's work. I'm not diminishing that at all. That's why it's called a work of faith leading to a labor of love. Not lagging behind in diligence. Some of us are lagging behind. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Now, I have great news for you. As much as we could really grow in our hospitality, and I've said that, I think, clearly to you this morning, I praise the Lord for how you contribute to help other folks. Our readyosity at the end of Christmas. What a great, for, for all the folks who gave at Christmas time to say, we're going to be ready to meet the needs. Your readyosity is making a difference. Watch this. Hello, CFC. My name is Dave McKee, and I have the privilege to serve as one of your elders. I just wanted to take a moment and give you an update on your readyosity gifts. Elizabeth is here with me, and she is our Director of Benevolence. She has played a critical role in helping facilitate what has turned out to be a very successful, God-glorifying privilege to be a blessing to our community. This year we have helped so many people with everything from providing grocery and gas gift cards to purchasing a bed for a single mom sleeping on the floor to making past due mortgage payments. It has been such a joy to be able to help so many people with needs this year. And we were also able to help a young couple who had a baby nearly two months premature. Hello, I'm, I'm Nikolai Medziak. This is my wife, Rebecca, and this is my son, Pasha Medziak. 
I was 31 weeks pregnant, so I had two months left of my pregnancy, and I just started contracting one day. It was a Sunday. I ended up going into full labor, and um, we had Pasha that night. Um, he came two months early, and he was four pounds, 10 ounces. Um, they immediately took him back into the NICU, and um, he wasn't breathing on his own right away, so he had to be hooked up um, to breathe, and they had to regulate his body temperature, and um, he had to learn you know, how to eat and how to thrive on his own. After we had Pasha, she was in, the in and out of the hospital visiting Pasha and everything, and obviously work for her stopped, and we were supposed to have another two months at least of her working and saving up the paychecks to pay all the bills and everything that we'd need to cover. Obviously, God had a whole different plan for us, which we soon found out that it was better than we could ever have imagined. The church stepped in and helped out with um, groceries. Um, they helped out with uh, gas money so that we could go back and forth to visit him in the NICU um, because we were going so often. Um, he even needed a special car seat for additional head support because uh, he was so tiny. He needed um, just something a little bit more supportive. And we didn't have one, and the church stepped in, and we were able to get a car seat. Um, by people giving, they're able to help out other people um, at unexpected moments. And the Radiosity Fund was able to help us when we needed it the most. And we're very, very grateful for people who chose to be generous enough and give, because without that, we wouldn't be able to get through the hard times. It has been a pleasure to see how your readiness to be generous at the end of last year has led to the ability to meet so many needs this year. You might be thinking, I know someone who could use some help. What do I do? Well, our volunteer team has worked hard to make this process simple. We have a one-page application which provides some basic information. If you bring a need to our attention, either your own need or someone you know, a member of our team will talk with you about the need and determine if and how we can best help. It's that easy. We also want to let you know that if you bring us the name of someone you would like to help, we will ask you to remain throughout the process and look for opportunities to have those life conversations as well. Again, we are grateful for your generosity and can't wait to see God continue to use it for His glory. It is to His glory because love provides. So thank you for practicing the gift of caring for the needs of other folks straight out of Romans chapter 12. I hope you heard what Dave, our elder, said. That it's not just, hey, come and drop off a name. It's join with us as you take advantage of the opportunity that God has given you to be an instrument of helping someone's needs be met and experiencing life in Jesus. So it's not a dumping of it. It's a saying, hey, let's join hands together in this. So CFC, thank you for loving by the way you provide for not only this community and this body, but lots of folks in this community have experienced your provision.
And not only that, but globally. Last month, 45000 beyond your regular giving for our missions offering. Praise the Lord for that. Yes. Thank you. Love provides. What will that? That's church planting through East West Ministries. That's a church in India. That's a, the Jesus film in a language that doesn't have it currently. And that's for our speaker. That's $1,000 towards that motorcycle for that Holy Land mission in Israel. Love provides. And I want to say to you, well done in the way that you have chosen to say, I'm going to invest. So a well done on that one. A, we can do better on hospitality. Love protects. Love protects. You saw Jason protect Paul and Silas? Sure, love protects. Attacking the house of Jason, why? Because he had welcomed them. They were seeking to bring out Paul and Silas to the people. When they did not find Paul and Silas them, they began dragging Jason. In other words, instead of saying, here's where he is, let me alone, please don't get, take me, they allow themselves to suffer in order to protect Paul and Silas. Now, don't miss. They were not protecting and hiding evildoers. They were protecting those who were honoring the Lord from evildoers. Okay? Big difference. Don't get that confused. But Jason and others very practically protected Paul and Silas. And sometimes... We need one another to protect one another, not just physically, but spiritually as well. Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. You see what the scripture is saying is that we will inevitably be involved with folks who sin has entrapped them. And they are enslaved to sin. And sin destroys, yes or no? Families? Marriages? Yeah. You understand that? And so our role is to say, when that happens, it's easy to go, oh, that looks hard. I'm scared. I won't know what to say. And to step out of it. But love says, ah, I'm going to step in. Hey, I'm going to do in gentleness, because this could be me, and I'm going to do so understanding that I could be tempted in this. So I'm going to do so with my spiritual wits about me. But I am not going to idly, are you, are you going to idly watch brothers and sisters in Christ have themselves or their marriages or their families destroyed by sin or by God's grace are you going to step in and seek to rescue you can't always make it happen but you can do what you have opportunity to do and and so our hope counseling center our certified biblical counselors are, are very much attempting to say let's help those whose sin is destroying their lives let's help them but it's just not our certified biblical counselors. Your family group, 
I got to, to speak to a man this morning in first hour, after first hour, that folks, sin was destroying his life and his marriage, and two brothers from this body went to his doorstep and knocked on his door, saved him from the destruction of sin. People will say to me, Doug, I'm just not confrontational. If you are, if you're a confrontational person, then you need a whole bunch of this gentleness that this verse talks about. I get many of us aren't confrontational, but love confronts. Love admonishes. Love corrects. So there is a time. And I say love because, you know, verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? One word. What's the, what's the, yeah, it's love. The law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill love. It's simply what we said a few weeks ago. Seeing someone who is weighed down by burdens, weighed down by the destructiveness of sin and saying, uh, hey, I'm going to step in. And to the degree that you will let me, I'm going to seek to help you. Love welcomes. Love invites. Love provides. Love protects. And love helps others fulfill their calling. In the big scheme of things, this might be my favorite reality in this text, is that love helps others fulfill their calling. Uh, in other words, why were Paul and Silas in Thessalonica proclaiming the gospel? Because that's what God had called them to do. Remember Acts 13 I'm setting aside, I'm appointing them to proclaim the gospel. They're there. But now, they're fulfilling their calling is in jeopardy. Except the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So they, they paid the fine. They endured the, craw, the cost. They didn't give Paul and Silas over to the authorities. Once they were free at their own expense, then they went and they got them and they helped them escape by night. So that they could do what? So that they could go to the next city and begin to... Preach there, which God had called them to do. You see, what I absolutely love about what the Thessalonians did for Paul and Silas is best seen in a map. If you pick up the second missionary of Paul, Silas, Philippi, top left. Can you, I don't know if you can see that. That's Philippi. That's where he had been put in prison and then released from prison and went from Philippi over to Thessalonica. He preached the gospel there and some were persuaded and believed. And then they, because they believed, they loved him by providing for him, by welcoming him, by protecting him, and then by helping him escape so that he could go to Berea and preach the gospel there and then go down to Athens and preach the gospel there and then go to Corinth and preach the gospel there. 
and go to Ephesus and preach the gospel there. You understand that some of the letters in our New Testament were written to people who Paul would and Silas would have not gotten to had the Thessalonians not said, we're going to help you fulfill your calling by getting you out of town at night. The reality is tons Tons of people believed in Jesus in Athens, in Corinth, and in Ephesus because Paul got there. And why did Paul got, get there? Because the Thessalonians loved them. It's work. They loved them. And when we love those around us, you know who we love? Many people who will actually never meet. As far as we know, what else did Jason do? We don't know anything else that Jason did except invited Paul to his house, provided for him, protected him, and helped him escape. But you know there are people in Berea and Athens and Corinth and Ephesus who believed. And Jason never met him. But he got to share in the weight. He got to share in the fruit of that ministry. You never know when you love somebody around you how the fruit of that love will bear forth in people that you'll never ever meet. You see that? I think back, you know, if Bert would have looked across and said, you know, I bet that guy's going to serve on staff for almost 30 years. I should go introduce myself. <laughs> What'd he do? He went, that young couple looks really lonely and uh, uncomfortable. I should go welcome them. No idea. No idea for us. We had no idea. 32 years later in 2019, I'd have been on, in June, I'll be on staff for 30 years. But it was a, it started with a guy. I'm telling you, we loved what we had experienced here except for the welcome. We endured it more weeks than we would have because we loved what was being taught by the word of God. But we didn't love the people. Because we didn't know the people. Because nobody said hey to us until Bert. So I'm grateful for Bert. Paul was grateful for Jason. So there is a, um, in the seat back in front of you, a thank you card. I want you to grab one, if you would. Really, each one of you grab one right now. Years ago, my daughter made this, started this little business called Tiny Tells, because she simply wanted to make a card small enough that you could only write like a sentence on it. So this is where, this is bigger than her Tiny Tells. But I said to her, Christy, I want to create a thank you card that 
a man and a woman. It would kind of cross gender. So guys, it's man enough, girls. I know it's not super beautiful, but it's meant to be gender fluid there, okay? So it's got a thumbprint on it for this reason. God's fingerprint is on your life through somebody, through multiple people, really, right? Somebody's labor of love is unforgettable in your life. It may have been last week or maybe 10 years ago or 30 years ago. The the labor of love, they touched, God touched your life through them. And so... This is a guy-friendly card mostly because it's about two sentences and you're done. But I want you to think, who has loved you? And I want you to write them a note, like right now. Like right now. Because if you don't do it right now, you're not going to do it. I know how this stuff works. I want you to write a note to them right now. And as you are remembering how God loved you through them, we're going to invite the men to pass the elements to remember how God has loved us most powerfully in Jesus. The point, obviously, is you'll write him a note and then you'll give it to him. If they're in town, if they're out of town, put it in the mail and send it to him. But the guys are going to pass the elements the bread and the cup, the reminder of God's love for us. Normally we hold it to the end, but it's going to be hard to hold the elements and write at the same time, right? So different this morning. When you receive the elements, just pause briefly. Thank the Lord for his love of you in Jesus, his death, and then you take it and go back to writing a note that I think will encourage someone. Because God has touched your life through somebody. Let them know it. Paul, let the Thessalonians know it. I 
things that I love about the goodness of God is that it's not just abstract. It's very tangible. And it's usually demonstrated through people. Through people who have touched my life by their love and their kindness, by their provision and by their protecting. For how they have helped me fulfill God's calling in my life. And that fingerprint of God is on your life as well. So uh, I hope you'll follow through and, and that you will bless somebody who has blessed you. Over here in South, uh, Jeff McDonald, will you stand up? Jeff, thank you, my friend, for bearing the weight dad's ministry with me your intentionality as a loving dad spurs me on to lead my family well your fingerprint is on my life thank you for my friend it's all over my life God's fingerprint is all over your life as well and we can do better 
putting his fingerprint on other people's lives. So would you avail yourself to him? Bow with me, Lord. Love is the greatest, above all, beyond, almost excellent way. We're your children, and as your children, want to be your hands on other people's lives. So would we have eyes to see that we have not seen, and would we be willing to step in and labor in ways that we've not labored before, that those who come to this place might experience welcome, and those who would never have come, come because we have invited. And would we protect those who the enemy is seeking to destroy, and would we enable them to fulfill the fullness God's calling on their lives. Lord, use us. Would you tell him right there in your seat, Lord, use me. Don't shrink back. Use me. It's an expression of unforgettable love. To the praise of your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.